Hallelujah. If you love Jesus, can you say amen one more time and bless the Lord? Amen. Thank you, band. Today we're starting our missions month, and our series is on the importance of missions. You have notes on the back of your announcements. Follow along. This message will encourage you. And like always, all of our messages are for free online at the website. If you've got an MP3 player, download it. You can listen to these messages and share them with your friends. Also, if you want to understand, when we webcast, that's a lot of the people who listen to us is people around the world watch these webcasts. I've gotten uh, testimonies from literally every part of the world, not every nation, but almost every major continent people have told us we've been blessed. I think the only one I haven't heard from is the Alaskan continent. Is that a continent? Okay, so uh, one of, maybe one of those continents around there. But God is doing a great work. Will you turn with me in your Bibles to John or Luke? Chapter 19, verse 10. Look with me to Luke chapter 19, verse 10, as we prepare today's message, the importance of missions. Listen to what Jesus said, Luke 19, 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Let's memorize this scripture today. Let's say it on the count of three. One, two, three. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. One more time. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Can we say it without? We're going to memorize this. One, two, three. For the Come on, amen. Give yourself a hand clap for memorizing the Bible. Come on. Today's message is on the importance of missions, and I want to ask you that question today. Why do you think missions is so important? Why do you think it's important to have missions? Now you're thinking to yourself right now, Pastor, this is the Christmas holidays, and maybe every year you think about getting yourself a little something that you haven't had the chance to get during the year. Maybe you're like me, you have a hobby like snowboarding, and you're thinking to yourself, man, if I can just get that new snowboard, if I can just get that new video game, young people, or adults, maybe you're thinking to yourself, if I could just get that new suit or that new car, or depending on if you like sports, that new season tickets or those tickets to those favorite sporting events. Now, I want to ask you something as you're thinking about that. When those things are spent on ourselves, does the importance of it remain after it's spent? Meaning this, after I get that new snowboard and I whoosh around on it on a little bit, does the importance really still remain there? When I look back on those times I spent on that snowboard, can I say really that my life has changed for the better? And as much as we love sports, I mean, let's just think about it. There's always going to be a next year and there's a next season. So let's say you spoiled yourself when you got the best 52-inch, 65-inch TV and you watched your favorite games or you had season tickets and you went there and the game's over and days go by and maybe your puppy dies. Maybe something tragic happens in your life. Are you going to think to yourself, well, I can make it through this situation because I have a 52-inch TV in my house. I can make it through this tragedy because last night I saw somebody score the winning shot. These things that we spend our money on are non-essentials. If most of us would look at even what we're thinking about in the midst of a recession, they say right now we're already buying the non-essentials again. Now, some of us may be struggling today, and you might be saying, Pastor, my Christmas gift to my kids is rent paid for December. Merry Christmas. You have a house. 
Maybe some are going through that situation today. But you know as well as I do that we still make time for those non-essentials. Maybe it's a manny or petty ladies. Maybe, fellas, it's just going out to eat and seeing a movie. Maybe it's getting something that we know we can live without. Maybe, uh, ladies, it's a pair of shoes. You thought to yourself that for some reason you forgot that you had any in your closet, and now if you do not have this one pair of shoes, you'll walk around barefoot for the rest of your life. So you have to have that pair of shoes. And maybe for us it's music downloading. I know sometimes on iTunes I can spend $20 without even thinking about because I love music and the Christian stuff or just downloading it. Now, we have the chance today to do something greater than that. You might be asking me, but pastor, I mean, really, if I, if I give to missions and my puppy dog dies, would I go back home and say, I can make it through this because I gave to missions? I actually am going to tell you yes. Yes, because the Bible says that Jesus' heart is on the lost. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. So if you want to be in a relationship with Jesus, care about what Jesus cares about. All business owners, listen to me. You want God to bless your business? Make your business about kingdom business. Listen to me, all the young people here, you want to do something great for God? Make your life's ambition to put the kingdom of God first. Matthew 6, made this promise to us. I didn't say, Jesus said it. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things would be added unto you. Now, I want you to go back in time to a, a time in the American history when we didn't have cell phones. Were we Okay. Did we manage without talking to each other all the time? How about text messages? Did we live without texting? How about the time before some of us were even born, before we had cable television? Was life still good back then? Did people breathe in the oxygen of the air? Did they enjoy life? Yes, they did. Let's go back a little bit further. Sometimes we're reminded of this when we go to other countries. Was people, were people still happy in America when we didn't have plane, trains, and automobiles and electricity? Were people happy in America when the children had one set of clothes and they wore them all the day and they went out and worked in the field, came back home on the frontier days? If you've ever seen Little House on the Prairie, you can look into history with me. Yes. So where did we get convinced that all these things now are so important? Is this God convincing us of this? Did God convince us that we needed cell phones? Did he put in the word of God, thou shalt have a cell phone? But parents, if you try to take it from your teenagers, all hell is going to break loose. Let's call the pastor exorcist time. Did, Did God say... That, that we had to have a bedroom for each one of our children. Now we think to ourselves somebody is poor if they don't have a bedroom for all of their children. We think that we have to have five-bedroom houses. They say now with the housing bubble being burst, people are beginning to realize again that just having a house of any kind is a blessing. And so I say all of these material things in a somewhat joking way, not to bribe you, but to open your mind. My friends, I think we've lost what's most important in America. It gets quiet when I talk like that, but I'm going to teach you a little bit here. Do you know that Harvard started off as a Bible college? 
to send missionaries to the Native Americans and around the world? Do you know that Yale was a Bible college? Do you know that Princeton was a Bible college? Do you know that the pilgrims who came to this land themselves were on a mission trip for religious freedom? Do you know that things were important in this country that aren't important anymore? People sailed on ships to get here so they could open up a Bible without a Church of England or a Roman Catholic priest telling them how to read it. They began to set up schools inside these churches, and they began to give the teachers the Bible, and they taught them out of the Bible, the textbook, of how to learn and live life. You honor your father and your mother, and this is how they lived. And you might say to yourself, well, Pastor, there was oppression and there was slavery. Yes, but that is a myth to believe everybody was like that. Many people were not like that. Matter of fact, it was the good who eventually overran the bad that then did liberate slavery. And did the right things. As I said, Harvard was not set up to colonialize the Indians or Native Americans, but to evangelize them and treat them as equals. Harvard. You see, what we think is so important now really is not important. Now let me give you the greater scheme of things. You're going to die one day. And I don't want to be morbid, but I want to tell you the truth. Your 80 years of this life will pass through your hands like grains of sand on the beach. And you will stand before God, and I will stand before God, and God is going to ask us, what did you do with your life? What did you do with your life? And I'm reminded of the story of this hardworking couple that came out of the Great Depression. They worked so hard in life to have so little. And yet by the time they retired, they just had enough to go down to Florida and buy themselves a home and to relax by the beach. And this older couple would wake up in the morning earlier before all the tourists, and they would find joy collecting seashores by the seaside. They would spend every day collecting these seashells, and they would spend time together, and they would talk about how blessed they were because they had worked hard and saved, and now they could retire. And one day, this dear old couple died, and they stood before God, and God said, what did you do with your life? And they said, here are our seashells we collected by the seashore. Somebody say the wasted life. I believe like never before, the American people have been duped into believing the American nightmare, not the American dream. The American dream was you would find freedom, you would find a job, and you would provide for your family. The American nightmare says you need to provide a PS3 for your family. You have to live out in the suburbs. You have to have two cars. You have to wear what Oprah Winfrey wears, and you've got to do all of this within a 24-hour day. And we wonder why this dream has become a nightmare, because we're $5,000 in debt on average to credit cards to have junk that we don't even have and don't even appreciate and use anymore and our children are turning to drugs and alcohol and perversion and there's violence out in our streets and yet we're still holding on to this myth if I get the American dream I'm happy where we forgot what Jesus said a long time ago it's better to give than to receive seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness in these things food, housing and clothing will be added unto you I know we look at ourselves today and we say, yes, Joe, I don't live for these things. But when it comes down to it, they get so darn important, don't they? They become so important that if we check our checkbook today, we'll see how important these things really are and how little this means to us. The very purpose to why Jesus came to this earth is sometimes the last thing on our list. 
A statistic says that church-going people give more to their pets than they do to the gospel going around the nations. What is missions? Missions is us going out and preaching the Word of God. Right now, across the world, our brother is in Pakistan suffering for the gospel that you and I had trouble getting up this morning and coming to because there might be snow on the ground. He's suffering for that gospel. Right now, we're talking to him, and the pastors with him suffer persecution. And yet for us, it's just another Christmas tree. It's another gift. It's another thing. And young people, listen to me. Let me tell you the one thing that will change your life and get you off of everything. Me shipping you to Pakistan for two weeks to live with them. You'll come back, kiss the ground, and be happy that you have a bicycle to ride. I'm telling you something. We forgot the value of things here. And so many people come from other countries, and we have a multi-ethnic congregation. And I want to remind you, why did you come? Did you come so that you could be so busy working that you couldn't raise your children, and they would become products of the streets? Or did you come to find a better life? It starts with God. So many parents come to work so hard, they spend no time with their children, and all they have now is just a bunch of stuff with nobody to have it with. Parents lost their children to the streets because God wasn't in the family. My friends, we need to get back to why missions is so important. The mission is our great commission. It's why we're here. And now you might be asking yourself, Pastor, well, what can I do? I don't have a lot. I, I, I'm myself trying to work day to day or I'm on a fixed income. This is not the point of how much you give. The point is, does it mean something to you? And do you sacrifice for it? Does missions mean something to you? I'm going to give you four reasons why missions is important. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 9. From the beginning, Jesus was a missionary. Did you know that? Jesus was a missionary. Look at Genesis 3, 8 through 9. We know that mankind fell into sin. But what did they do after they sinned? They ran and hid behind a bush. You all remember that? John, uh, Genesis chapter 3 says, after mankind sinned, they went and hid themselves. What did God do? Then the man and the wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to man, where are you? The call of missions is calling out sinners and lost people. Where are you? Where are you? Calling people to Jesus Christ. Where are you? Making loud the call to people. Where are you? You see, God knew where they were. God knew that they were hiding in a bush because they had sinned. They were created in the image of God. The glory of God shone around them like light goes through a light bulb. And they didn't pay attention to the glass of their light bulb or the flesh or the dirt. But when that light shut off, they could see every part of their nakedness and the embarrassment and the shame. And they went and hid themselves when they heard God come because it was the habit of Adam and Eve to walk with God in the cool of the day throughout this garden. But yet when they sinned when they disobeyed God did God leave them in that state of sin did God just leave them there and say let's start over again angels let's destroy Adam and Eve let's start again on Pluto no he said I'll come out to them I'll come down and walk for the walk with them and then I'll look for them the Bible says Jesus came down I'll explain how this is Jesus in just a moment but God came down and he looked for mankind Do you know that if Jesus wasn't looking for you and I, we'd be lost and damned on our way to hell? 
That's the theology of the Bible. If you came here believing the Bible, I want to convince this of you. Jesus has been a missionary from the very beginning. Here's some proof. Revelations 13.8 says, All the inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. So this is the end times people worshiping the beast. All whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life. Now listen to this nugget of truth. The Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. That means this will flip your noggin right now. Are you ready to get set on fire in your mind? All your circuits are going to short circuit right now. Are you ready, deep thinkers? Before Adam and Eve were ever created and ever sinned, Jesus already knew he would come and die for them. But yet he still created them. Why? Because he's a missionary at heart, and he wants us to have a choice to either reject him or receive him. And so when they were created, he knew from the beginning, from the creation, that he would have to lay down his life for them. Would you still create people if you knew you would have to lay down your life for them? Would you still do that? That's how much he loved us. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. This is how I know that in the Old Testament, whenever God meets with man, I know it's Jesus. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. In the Old Testament, anytime you see the angel of the Lord or God coming down, Yahweh, speaking face to face with man, we call these Christophanies. These are the times that the pre-incarnate Christ meets with us. Christ was not born on Christmas. He just took on an earth suit and walked with us in Christmas. But he has been pre-existent as long as the Father has been around, the Son and the Holy Spirit have been around. So listen, when Abraham was lost as a pagan and he was worshiping pagan gods in Genesis 18 on the plains of Mamre the Bible says Jesus met with him called him out and said I want you to be blessed to be a blessing he told Abraham I got a plan for you who reached out to him Jesus reached out to him when Hagar and Ishmael had that problem with Abraham Abraham wanted a promised son so he tried with his wife Sarah but Sarah couldn't bear a child so he did it with his handmaid in Hagar and then Ishmael was born and this is representative of the Islamic people of the Middle East and then Sarah got jealous and said kick out Hagar kick out Ishmael and then Hagar and Ishmael were wandering in the desert about ready to die who shows up to Hagar who has compassion on Ishmael it is Jesus the angel of the Lord appeared to her and gave her provision this isn't a type and a shadow of God still reaching out to Muslim people today there's a billion Muslims and the number one way that Muslims convert to Jesus Christ is when they have dreams and visions of Jesus Christ. He's a missionary on the move, reaching people. He's always been a missionary. In the time of Jacob, who became Israel, with the Israelites, his name was taken from Jacob, which means schemer, to Israel, which means prince of God. He was about ready to be beaten up and conquered by his brother Esau because he had stolen the birthright and had lied to his brother. In that night when he was worried and afraid, who came down there with him? The angel of the Lord wrestled with him and gave him peace and a blessing so that when he stood before Ishmael, Ishmael would have, or Esau, Esau would have compassion on on him Jesus the second person of the Trinity Father Son Holy Spirit Jesus the pre-incarnate the Christophany Christ appearing in the Old Testament he's always been a missionary from the time of Adam and Eve saying where are you I've come to you 
Remember they were naked in the garden? He killed an animal and clothed them. The first blood sacrifice was Jesus killing an animal and clothing them in the garden. He's always been a missionary. When he saw a pagan world through Abraham, he reached them. That became the father of the Israelite people. He reached out to Hagar and Ishmael. He reached out to Jacob. Somebody say, Jesus is a missionary. Now let's keep on going. Number two, Jesus was a missionary in the times of Moses and the prophets. If you look at Ezekiel, uh, Exodus chapter 3, verse 7, listen to what it says right here. So it will blow your mind if you've never looked at it this way. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. You see, God's caring about what's going on. He's not just looking at his TV, ignoring the world. He's not just hanging out with the angels, saying everything's cool in heaven, so everything must be cool out there. No, he looks around. He sees his people in Egypt being in bondage, in slavery for 400 years. He said, I've seen the misery of my people. Have you paid attention to the misery of this world? Have you seen the hurting? Have you seen the poor? Have you seen the downcast? Or are you so busy with who wants to be a millionaire and the price is right and these types of ways to get rich and Donald Trump's ways of real estate millionaireism? Have you got so caught up with your own life you don't see the misery? He cared. He saw the misery. Now keep going. It will blow your mind. See the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. He heard their cries. And I am concerned about their suffering. He was concerned. Do you hear the cries right now of the world? Do you hear the cries of the poor? I can't talk to you about 1-800-FEED-THE-POOR-CHILDREN on, on that infocommercial. I don't know about them. But I know about the people I've met in the places I've been. To the untouchables in India where they have water in the, in, in the same place they use their bathroom. That same sewage water is the water they clean their clothes in. My friends, I've seen it. And I'm concerned about it this is your god speaking streets of gold pearly gates yes he's not concerned with streets of golds and pearly gates he's concerned about the projects he's concerned about the immigrant he's concerned about what's going on in villages and huts he's concerned about dofar he's concerned and it doesn't take a millionaire to take some trip over there and brad pitt gets a picture on people magazine it takes people like you and i to care and to be concerned about the hurting this world thinks churches is full of hypocrites because the pastors to the people, all they seem to do is care about themselves. I guarantee you, we start taking more mission trips. We put this before the people. You can't leave here and say I'm preaching for the wrong reason. You'll say, I'll tell you one thing about that church. They may be crazy. They may be speaking in tongues, but they love somebody other than themselves. They care about somebody other than themselves. Why is that white boy on the west side? Because he cares about somebody other than himself. He said, I've heard their suffering, seen their crying. Now look at verse 8, hallelujah. So I have come down to rescue them. He said, I'm coming. Uh, 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 Michael, you've got to stay up here. I'm coming myself. Gabriel, no, this ain't for you. I'm coming myself. Pastor, why don't you just send us out to the west side? No, no, no. I've got to come myself. When you give to this mission budget, you might not be able to get there yet, but you are sending me as a pastor to come in Jesus' name. And the Bible says that reward is the same reward I'm getting. We're a team, my friends. We are a team, and we're coming down. Are we going to Nepal? We're coming down. Are we going to Nigeria? We're coming. Are we co we're going to go to wherever the Lord will open the door for us to go. He said, I'm going to come, and I'm going to rescue them. 
And I'm going to bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land. And you know the rest of the story. But who sent Moses? Moses was then a missionary. But who came first to Moses in the burning bush and said, I heard the cries and I care and I'm going to be with you. It was God himself. Yet some of us can't give up a Thanksgiving breakfast or a meal. We can't go out and give to the poor. We can't push back a plate and donate that money to missions. We can't uh, avoid buying puss and boots for our cat to give it to the world missions. We'll spend all this stuff on us, and yet we'll still say we care like Jesus cared. Is it any wonder why we have so little effect in this world? People aren't stupid. They know when we're hypocrites. And let me just give you a little hint right here. You may not see this on Fox News and MSNBC News. Let me explain to you why Muslims hate us. Because they see Britney Spears call herself a Christian, shake her naked booty on TV, and then they say to, the, say to us, we are infidels. They think that we believe we're Christians, even though we watch these movies, waste our money on entertainment. Pornography is the number one thing that comes across the American Internet. And they look at us and they say, these are infidels. Infidels. That's why they'll blow us up. Because in their parables, we're not the David. We're Goliath, and they're the David. See, America used to have a reputation to talk about reaching the poor and helping the hurting. Now all we do is, I'm not getting political, but listen, all we do is infueled by our own morality, our president's lying, our, 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 our oil interests over there, and the people of these Muslim nations who are more radical than you and I could ever imagine are willing to blow up Times Square, are willing to blow up these things. Why? Because when you read your Bible and you see David knock down Goliath, are you crying for Goliath? When you see the Bible and the Israelite people destroy the Amalekites, are you weeping for the Amalekites? When you see the Egyptians get punished by God, are you weeping for Pharaoh? That's how they see us. I'll tell you how we change First of all, our missionaries in these countries can't even call themselves Christians because the name of a Christian has been run through the mud so many times in their nation. They have to call themselves followers of Christ. Are you listening to me? Because we become so hypocritical in the church. We don't care about the hurting. In the 80s, when the mega church became popular and televangelism became popular, that's when inner city urban violence became the worst because all the pastors wanted a book and a TV show and they pushed out into the suburbs. And you can still see today an empty building. Christ the Shepherd was a church. They left and went out to the suburbs. You know who bought it on Belmont in Austin? It was a mosque. It's now there today. They buy up our churches and they put these things there. And we wonder why our nation is not Christian like it used to. Because we lost the passion of our founding fathers towards missions. We lost what we used to be. Jesus was a missionary. He showed up to Gideon. And he said, God is with you, mighty warrior. He showed up to Samuel in the temple. He said, I have a call on your life to restore a nation. He came to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire. He was the fourth man with him, walking through that as they wouldn't bow to the idol that he had set up. Do you know? that they were sent into a fire because they didn't bow their knees to the idol that was placed before them yet God was sent down with them the sun walked with them and the Bible says not even one hair on their head was scorched in Isaiah Isaiah chapter 6 the Bible says Israel was in so much sin he gave Isaiah a vision Isaiah chapter 6 said I see the Lord high and lifted up he said I'm a man of unclean lips living among a people of unclean lips the Lord then cleansed him took fire 
fire off the altar and this vision cleansed him. And then Isaiah heard this word, who will go for me? Whom shall I send to spread the message? And Isaiah said, here I am, Lord. Send me. I'll go. I wonder how many people today have the heart of Isaiah that will go. Jesus came to him first and then sent him out. Then Ezekiel had a vision of the wheel within the wheel. Blow your mind. How awesome this was. And then he came to him and he said, Ezekiel, I got a plan for you while you're living in Babylon in a nation that is wicked. I want you to preach to the lost people of Israel. Jesus has always been a missionary. And he finds other missionaries. And he says, okay, you go here. Okay, you go here. All right, you go over here. You see, my friends, the reason why we're all in different parts of the world is like these lights. They're all not clumped in next to each other. They are spread out. The Bible says that you are the light of the world. Do not take your light and bury it under a bushel. Set it on top of a hilltop for all to see. You might wonder why where you are is the darkest place ever. You're there because you're the only light, and God is using you to be a missionary in that dark place. Thirdly, Jesus' incarnation was a mission trip to the earth. Everybody say, incarnation, not incarnation. Anybody remember that? <laughs> not to leave incarnation. Is that, was that the name? Incarnation. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, making you all laugh. Look at this. When Jesus came in the flesh... When he was born, it wasn't in Christmas, it was more around the fall. You know when he did that? That was his mission trip to us now to say, hey, everybody, I'm here. Think of it. He had been showing up and then leaving, showing up and then leaving, coming into a burning bush. But now he walks among us. He eats what we eat. He does what we do. Look at how Philippians chapter 2 describes this experience with Jesus coming down to be with us on this earth. Who being in very nature God. What nature is Jesus? Come on, say it like you mean it. Which nature is Jesus? One more time. Which nature is Jesus, y'all? He is God. He did not consider equality with God something to be used in his own advantage. He said, I could come down, squash them all like bugs and say, I'm the boss. But he said, I'm not going to use it to my own advantage. He came down, rather made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. So he's in the nature of God. But when he comes down to earth, he became the nature of a what? He became a servant. Keep going. Being made in human likeness, he was like us. And being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you know why Jesus is the greatest name of all the earth because he was the greatest missionary of all the earth my friends you want treasures in heaven be like jesus you want to you want to have treasures in heaven that will last longer than your car your houses these things treasures in heaven come from living like jesus jesus was given the greatest name because when he came to earth he came as a missionary as a servant he didn't come down as krishna he didn't come down as buddha he didn't come down to be worshiped and to be followed and to be carted around in these type of middle eastern carts and to be fanned he came down to walk among us to be like us then to suffer and die for us jesus is a missionary 
You look at Jesus' mission trip to the earth. What did he do? He makes disciples. He hangs out with the woman at the well. He breaks cultural barriers. He was not even supposed to, as a Jewish leader, to talk to, number one, a Samaritan who was half Jewish and half in another race, a Syrian. He wasn't even supposed to talk to these type of people. And the secondly, he wasn't supposed to talk to women. And so he goes to a woman who is a Samaritan. You know why? Because he loves people. He doesn't care what the world says about them. He loves them black and yellow, red and white. They are all precious in his sight. Jesus loves all the little children of the world. Look at your neighbor and say, that's you, Bubba. Come on. <laughs> he went out and made disciples. He went to the woman at the well. He went to the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, why do I say this to you? Because at the Feast of Tabernacles, this was the time in the Jewish calendar where they celebrated their time of 40, day, of 40 years in the desert when they lived in tents. Remember when they left Israel? They had to live in the desert. They stayed in tents. Well, this time during the Jewish year, they would all get out and stay in tents and remember the time the Lord delivered them. And then on the last and greatest day of the feast, they would take water from the temple and pour it down the steps and it was to represent God's blessing and refreshing coming Jesus in John chapter 7 saw all of this symbolism then he came to the temple and he shouted out is anyone thirsty let him come unto me and drink and out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water the same Jesus who came in the garden and said where are you behind a bush stood at the temple and said if you're thirsty I am here come and drink he's always He's been a missionary. He's always cared about people. He's always reached out to where people are. That's why we love him so much. Then you look at Paul. Paul was a murdering religious Jew who hated Christians. He himself was a part of the group of people who wanted Jesus crucified, who helped kill disciples. But then one day, as he's on his road to Damascus, Jesus shows up, knocks him off his horse, blinds his eyes for three days, and calls him to be a missionary to the Gentiles. And he went to Rome and preached the gospel to the Roman Empire. Jesus is a missionary. He's always been one. And lastly, my friends, if you've never seen it as this, Jesus' second coming is the fulfillment of all of his mission work. Look at Revelations 19.11. How many believe Jesus is coming back? Say amen. Jesus is coming back one day. Here's the end of the book, my friends. Jesus will come for his people. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. My friends, he's not coming back as a baby, but as a conquering king. Amen? It ain't Dito Jesus. It's Lord Jesus. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are crowned many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, dressed in fine linen, white and clean, coming out of his mouth as a sharp sword, which is to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings. And Lord of Lords, hallelujah. Jesus is coming back for the fulfillment of his mission trip. What will you have to show Jesus when he comes back?
This gospel is to be preached to every tribe, to every nation, to every person speaking a different language. This is the gospel that he is coming back for. I want to summarize it for you today. Those four points of why missions are important can be summarized in these two points. Jesus was a missionary in the patriarchal times, that means times of the Father, with Moses and the prophets in his incarnation and at his second coming. Jesus is a missionary. And secondly, Jesus told us to go. Would you stand up on your feet? Come on, give the Lord a hand clap as we get ready to read it. Come on, somebody. Then Jesus, after he rose from the dead, then Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, stay, look pretty, and come to church on Sundays. Band, would you come? Therefore, go to the Christian concert and wave your hands around like you do once a year. Therefore, go and become a priester. Come to church on Christmas and Easter. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth is mine. He said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. His last words are our first words. The last thing he said was go. The first thing we hear is go. This means more to him than I have time to explain to you. But I'm going to share with you a few things in closing because some of you right now, you, you might be in this home service and it just might go right over your head. I'm going to take a few moments in closing so you catch it today. Because you might be saying, okay, Pastor, I get all of that. Jesus was that. But what does that mean to me? How do I do that? I'm struggling. My family is hurt. I want to explain it to you. Jesus blesses those who bless others. The way he teaches us is the opposite of this world. The world says when you have a little, you keep it to yourself. Jesus says, when you have a little, you give all you have away. Do you remember that in the Bible? Jesus was watching the offering. Imagine Jesus with his little notepad and, you know, pencil watching the offering. The Bible says a lot of rich people came in and gave things, but there was a poor woman who just had a widow's mite, just to us what would be a penny, even less than a penny. She dropped it in, and Jesus looked to his disciples and said, this one gave more than all the rest. Because she gave out of what she didn't have. You want to know the connection? The connection is care about what Jesus cares about. So that he can care for what you care about. When he said, seek first the kingdom, that's what he meant. I'll tell my personal testimony and then another testimony in closing. Those of you who were here last week and you heard me talk about driving and delivering pizzas, God calling me into the ministry, do you know that at that point I had never known what it was like to go without things in life? My parents grew up, I grew up middle class. I got a car my 16th birthday, teenagers, amen. That was my gift. Go get your license. Here's your car. But when God told me to start reaching out to people, for the first time, I didn't have enough to give it away. 
God told me to start going into the inner city of Fort Wayne, Indiana and start feeding them. And I said, God, I'm working part-time at the pizza place. And God said, give what you have. And do you know that when I started giving what I had, more started to come? And then I gave what I had then, and then more started to come. Do you know that by the time I left Bible college in New Orleans, I had given away around 100,000 pounds of food? And I never had anything more than what I started with. It's just the bigger need called Jesus to come and to answer that bigger need. There's a missionary right now in Africa who has 5,000 orphans. And you know what her book title is if you want to get it by Heidi Baker? There's always more than enough. She has realized that every time she says, we can't, we can't take in another orphan. There's no way we can take in another orphan. And then they'll see some baby with AIDS. Its mom has died. And they'll take it in. And then God will expand. And then God will expand. You see, some of us, we have been trained the other way. We have by saving. And that's okay. You know, I, I save. We all need to save. And we need to build nice things. But that doesn't satisfy us spiritually. I want to say to you, give your life away to God and see what he'll do with you because there'll always be more than enough. I want to tell you the story today of a missionary. Would you put it up there for me, please, of William Borden. William Borden was born in the early 1900s. He was part of the Borden Family Food Incorporation that his family had had, and at his time, the Borden Food Corporation had billions of dollars of business. It was the Kraft Food Corporation of his day. He was set to inherit all of the things that his father had worked for and his grandfather had worked for. But yet, he went to Yale University and Princeton Theological Seminary to be a missionary. Remember I said Princeton and Yale were Bible colleges? That's where he went. Then his father came to him and said, If you leave and go become a missionary, you'll have no inheritance in this multi-billion dollar business. He then said to his parents, I have to go. And he left for Egypt to be a missionary. And he wrote in his Bible, no reserve. He was born into wealth. And he said, I have nothing. And I have no reserve. I've given away everything that I have. No reserve. He goes into Egypt. And there he contracts a disease as a missionary. And they tell him, this is incurable. We have no cure America has no cure. There's no cure for this disease. He then writes in his Bible, no retreat. He says, I will die here on this mission field then. And he kept preaching. And then shortly after, they said, your time is short. He was only in his early 20s, around 25 years old. And at the end of his life, he wrote the last entrance into his Bible. No regrets. No regrets. He said, no reserve. 
no retreat, and no regrets. God is looking for some Bordens today who are willing just to give it all away. It doesn't matter if you're a businessman, a mother, a father in college, retired. It doesn't matter. You just start off in your heart and you say, God, I give it all away. Use me to change the world for you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for everyone in this place. Altar workers, would you come? As they're coming right now, I want to ask you just to think about Jesus and what this message meant to you. For the next coming weeks, we're going to be doing our general altar call for healing and salvation and all of those things during the worship time, as you saw Brother David do today. Because at the end of these mission messages, I want people to be able to come forward and get prayer specifically related to the message. At the end of service, if you need to come and receive prayer, you can come for anything. We'll pray again. But today's altar call is going to be for anybody here. Anybody. It doesn't matter if you're already a Bible college student. It doesn't matter if you're my wife. This is for everybody here who says, I just want to be used by God to do something great. You see, my friends, with every head bowed and eyes closed, as a pastor, I'm not going to ask you to do things you can't do. And I'm not going to try to trick you. And this is not about the money. This is about getting a heart of missions. Because when December is long gone and this, build, uh, this project is long gone, we're still going to have that heart if you get it today. You'll never be the same. You'll be like God looking at Egypt. You'll never be the same when you look at the world. You'll hear the cries. You'll go to the west side. You'll go to your neighborhood. You might just help that homeless person. Why? Because you'll always have a heart for missions. It might just be your coworker. It may be your boss. But you have a heart for missions. Let's pray. Father, I ask you right now that the heart of missions will come into this place. That God, every person here will desire, Lord, to be your missionary. To be the one, God, who goes to their neighbor, to their friends. We may not all be able to travel around the world, but, God, we can have the heart of it. We can pray for them. We can think about them, God. And, Lord, we can reach out everywhere you go because, God, souls matter to you. People matter to you. Before we begin to pray, I'm going to call some more 201ers up here. Come quickly. Because before we pray, I want you to think about this one last thing before you go. If somebody wasn't a missionary, where would you be right now? If somebody didn't hand you a flyer, if somebody didn't come knocking at your door, if I wasn't sent from New Orleans, Fort Wayne to New Orleans to here, where would you be this morning? Come on, make it personal. Where would your children be if there wasn't a youth group reaching out to them? Some of you came by way of your children. A flyer was put in their hand. Where would you be without a missionary? Every one of us, in some way or another, are here because somebody reached out to us, whether it was a friend, whether it was a co-worker, somebody on the streets. And let me tell you something, with every head bowed and eyes closed, God is looking now to use you. No excuses, no reserve, no regret. If that's you, you have a missionary heart. Don't go before we dismiss. Let's pray right now. Those who have a missionary heart, come up from wherever you are and let us pray for you right now. Everybody's going to receive prayer who wants to be used by God to change the world. Come on, as the band sings, let's begin to come forward for prayer. Don't wait. The first thing you got to do is leave where you are. 
Leave where you are right now. Come on. Hallelujah. We'll pray for everybody. We're not in a hurry, but we want you to come. Come on, put up Rachel so we can hear her. Thank you, Jesus. And altar workers, you don't have to pray long. Just say, God, use them. God, use them. Come on, stretch around these altars. Quickly. Come on, who wants to be used on their job? Who wants young people to go back to their schools? Maybe you have a call. Maybe you'll come on mission trips with us.